Hi, this is Tracy Sue, and you are listening to What Would Tracy Sue Do, where we ask better questions about things that matter. Thank you so much for clicking this link. I'm going to consider it kismet, an act of faith that we got to connect this way. And I welcome you. Thank you so much. I have some really exciting things going on. I am so thrilled that my daughter just received an offer for full tuition, full books, and uh, full fees. So essentially, she gets to go to college for free. Now, this has been my focus, my family's focus, um, to have my daughter go to college for free and not take any student loans. To graduate without student loans has been my focus. And I went about this with strategy um, and manifestation and intention. Um, my family and I have made a lot of sacrifices to make this happen, but not in the way that you think. Now, I'm not going to give away my proprietary information or my strategy for making this happen, um, but I am going to share it on my Patreon page. And if you didn't listen to the last um, podcast or you don't know what Patreon is, it is a place that I can share more information, deeper information, more of a community, more private information, and more creative creations, if you will, to a small group of people or a smaller group of people who op actively opt in, who I can trust with giving away some of my secrets and more of my personal information. So if you are interested in finding out what my secret recipe for getting your kid through college without student loans is, you can find this information at patreon.com slash Tracy Sue. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Tracy Sue. And it is not what you think it is. I almost guarantee that it is not what you think it is, but it worked. It completely worked. So that's really exciting that that has happened. Uh, you know that there is a massive student loan crisis in this country and kids are starting their lives $140,000 in debt. Uh, there's no ROI in this. They're not able to live on what they make. They overestimate what they're going to make. They overestimate the value of a liberal arts degree. Um, Basically, we're saddling our kids with an extreme amount of debt before they even start their lives. We're, we're crippling our young and no solid economy can possibly be built or sustained when we are crippling our young people. So student loans are a real big fucking deal, uh, which makes it all the more important that you vote for a candidate that is going to end this nightmare for our young people, uh, which ends this nightmare of a future complete economic collapse uh, for the rest of us. So yeah, join me on Patreon. There's other things I'm sharing on Patreon, which, um, which are just deeper, going deeper, going deeper with things and being able to share more freely without, um, 
broadcasting to the whole entire world some things that I consider personal and private and creating a safe space for you to do that as well. Okay, another really exciting thing that's going on for me is I am working on a book. So I don't know if many of you know this or not, but I have a publishing company called Sue Inc. I take the book from concept all the way to, gosh, if we're lucky and we plan it with strategy, right? Amazon bestseller status. Um, I could do it in about 90 days. And that includes ghostwriting, editing, um, design, formatting, administrative stuff, ISBN, everything you need to get your book on the market. And this can be, oh my gosh, this can be the thing that makes you a credible authority in your business. And honestly, it's just a lifelong dream for many of us. Uh, you can find out more information about that product at sueinc.com. That's S-I-O-U-X-I-N-K.com, where you can see what I offer in terms of publishing packages. It's way more reasonably priced than so many of these book coaches who are letting you struggle with your own book with some vague advice. This is not that. This is hands-on, you get your book edited, formatted, designed by me, a real person who knows what she's doing. Um, and this book is about goats saving the world, which I mean, I am just channeling the energy of joyfulness with goats. Goats are just the most joyful, and if you don't know this, uh, Goats are instrumental technology, ancient technology for a modern world that has decimated our land. And goats are the key to turning that around, to reclaiming the land, to reestablishing nature, preventing drought. Um, you know, these are caused from over farming, over industrialization, pollution, all kinds of just terrible, irresponsible things that we have allowed, um, corporate America to perpetrate on our shared resources of water and land and sky and goats can save the world. So I am having the best time. It is so much fun to work with the goat gypsy lady. Um, Lainey Malmberg, I believe is her name. And thank you so much for the referral. Um, bear, bear McKay. Thank you so much for that referral. I so appreciate it. So if you have a dream of getting a book out there, or if you have a business that you want to establish yourself as the expert uh, with credible authority, because you have written a book about your subject matter, and you want that, it's like the best business brochure ever, really. Uh, just having a book is monumentally important if you want to be seen as an expert in your area. Personally, I know that the second I got a book, I could get on all kinds of podcasts and radio shows, all kinds of media, um, you know, better Google presence, uh, because Google pays attention to these things. And also it can be a great means of income and a channel for people to come through Amazon or through Google to your business. So I believe I know 
that a book is one of the best investments you can make in your business that has an actual payoff, okay? And it's not the kind of payoff where you pay for a crap coaching program and they tell you all the stuff that you could look up for free on the internet. No, this is a tangible, complete book that you will be proud to put your name on with a professional writer, a professional editor, a professional designer, and third-party credibility of a publishing company, Sue Inc. And I am just thrilled to uh, work on this goat book, Joyful Goats Saving the World. It's such fun. Okay, today's, um, excuse me, uh, today's topic is narcissism. So you fell for a narcissist. Of course you did. So narcissism is, God, it's a very much trending word in the media on YouTube. Some of these videos have gone around and received thousands and thousands and thousands of views, which are telling you how to identify a narcissist and why they would be interested in you, an empath or a giver or whatever. So I'd like to talk about this because we are not having a clear understanding of some of these terms. And also, I want you to understand the social, cultural, and political source that creates narcissists. Okay, we have been making narcissists for eons, for millennia. We have been making narcissists. That's what we've been doing as a community of humans on planet Earth. So I want you to understand the context for that so that you can understand what is happening to you in your relationships and so that we can stop making more narcissists with our children. Okay. So we're going to talk about how narcissist, well, what is a narcissist first? Okay. Let's talk about some definitions of what is a narcissist and whether this is even a correct term applied to what has happened to you. We're going to talk about what to do if you have come into contact with a narcissist. We're going to talk about how to get the fuck away and prevent that from happening to you again. We're going to talk about how not to make more narcissists, okay? So that we don't have more and more generations who are making narcissists and victims of narcissists, all right? So, narcissism, narcissist is a myth, Okay. Narcissist is a myth. He was this beautiful hunter. He was known for his beauty. He had followers, people who adored him, who wanted to be in his presence. They were captivated by his beauty. One day he looked into a pond and in that pond, he saw the reflection of himself and he fell instantly in love. Or actually, maybe a better way to say that is he looked into the pond and he fell instantly in love with the person that he saw there. But he did not realize that it was himself. When he finally discovered that he had fallen in love with himself, he realized that his love could not be reciprocated by another person, which is what he craved. Okay, so he didn't fall in love and think, I'm so fucking awesome. He 
looked into this pond and he thought, I love that person as if that person was not him. He did not understand at first that that person was him. And his heart was so broken when he realized that it was him and not another person that could be his beloved and reciprocate his adoration and love, he killed himself. So that is where we get the word narcissist. That is the origin of the word narcissist. Uh, narciss- narcissist um, has turned up in all kinds of literature and film and paintings. And he's often portrayed as someone who um, is arrogant, egotistical, self-centered, um, self-absorbed, and, uh, you know, not that great of a dude, right? Not that great of a dude. We have transformed that word to explain specific kinds of people who exist in our society. All right. And then after we already had the connotation of the type of person who exhibits certain characteristics in our society, in our culture, the MR5. All right. Let's see. Did I get that right? The the book that psychiatrist, the DSM-5, okay, the DSM-5 is the book that psychiatrists and psychologists use to characterize mental illness and personality disorders, okay? So this became a medical term, a mental illness term, a classification of a form of psychosis or psychobehavior, Psycho meaning mind, meaning mind, far after we already had this word um, characterized by a certain kind of person based on a myth, an ancient myth about this mythical hunter who was beautiful and fell in love with his own um, reflection. Okay, so we need to look at the definition of a narcissist in terms of our mental health community, right? The actual mental health thing, because it's not necessarily uh, bad to have self-love, right? We talk about it all the time, how we need to develop our self-love. We can't love anyone else until we love ourselves, right? So it's a huge thing in the spiritual community to love yourself. That is not a mental illness. In fact, self-loathing and self-hatred is considered the mental illness in spiritual communities, um, in cultural circumstances. So that is not a characterization of mental illness. So let's look at the things that must be present when you're talking about a clinical diagnosis of narcissism. So the definition says it must be persistent, apparent in every social situation, and it must differ from social cultural norms. Okay, must be persistent. It must be apparent in every social situation. 
Okay, so this means it can't just be in uh, his romantic relationships. It, and, and let me point this out. We are going to be talking about men in this discussion because there has to be some way for us to talk about cultural, socio, and political realities without being super politically correct and saying, oh, this is just women and men. No, we're not going to do that. We are going to be talking about men as a context in this okay we're not doing the politically everybody's whatever no men is what we're talking about here because clinically narcissists are mostly men in the psychology profession and narcissist himself was a male okay so we're going to be for the purpose of this talking about men in terms of narcissism, and you can take your lady self-absorbed, whatever, she's in love with herself, conceited, and that's a different discussion, okay? You you can have that discussion, but not in this episode. Okay, so it must be persistent, all right? It cannot be a single episode. It cannot be like, oh, well, you know, he got kind of out of control there when he was being a power freak on this one situation. It cannot be it has to be in every social situation, okay? It cannot just be in his romantic relationships. It cannot just be regarding his profession or that one particular job. It cannot just be a specific episode uh, that he experienced in one form or another, okay? It has to cross every social situation. Now, here is the kicker. It must differ. This behavior must differ from social cultural norms. It must differ from social cultural norms. So this behavior cannot be consistent with an entire, you know, country's behavior about how they interact with the world, okay? It can it 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 has to look different. It has to be a different reality than whatever he's experiencing, uh, whatever is happening in, say, his church, right? So it has to be different than his cultural norm. It has to be unusual. It cannot be usual for it to be a clinical diagnosis of narcissism as a mental illness. So there are, let's see, um, I want to talk about the signs of narcissism. Let me look in my notes here. Um, let's see. Looking in my notes, looking in my notes, because I, I should have numbered my notes because they got out of order here. Um, let's see. Da, 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 da. Okay. Sorry, folks. I just got to, um, <sighs> okay. I, let's see. I think, I think this is what I am looking for. Okay. So here is, um, some of the, I guess, signs of narcissism. Okay. Um, they feel superior to others. They expect a different treatment from others because of their inherent superiority. They feel entitled to being treated differently because of their superiority. They often belittle others 
to elevate themselves. Okay, so they might be belittling or demeaning to a certain race or a certain class or to a certain gender or a certain per- specific person or other people in their profession, right? They belittle so that they can elevate themselves in comparison to others. They exploit circumstances or other people for personal gain. They have a fixation a fixation with their success or achievement, right? So they're constantly talking about it. They're just, that's what's on their mind. That's what motivates them all the time. Some sort of achievement, uh, some sort of success, some sort of um, professional gain, some sort of power. Um, they often fixate on their uniqueness, how special they are. Uh, they, they, uh, are fixated on a higher status. So they're very concerned with what other people think about them and are very driven by being perceived as in a higher status. They need constant admiration. They demand obedience from others because, of course, they're superior and therefore must be uh, entitled to others' obedience or subordination. And they experience envy. This could be envy of what others have and therefore something that they have to uh, elevate themselves above. And they experience the idea that everyone around them is envious of them and therefore they may come at them uh, to attack them or belittle them. So they're on the defensive from that. Okay, so these are the signs that psychiatrists and psychologists use when they are diagnosing someone with narcissism. Okay, so the important pieces that I think we should talk about first are the fact that this person isn't necessarily experiencing self-love, obviously, right? This person is, wants to be perceived by others. Like others have to be a participant in this. Okay. This is not someone who, you know, is kind and generous to themselves uh, in order to love themselves so that they can love others. No, this person very, very, very much of his characteristics is about how others perceive him right? He perceives himself as superior, but it doesn't count for him. Like that's not even important if others do not perceive him as superior as well. So they often get into relationships. I mean, they have to get into relationships with people who adore them. While they're in this adoration stage where they've built themselves up, they've, you know, put on this uh, show, their reputation is whatever, stellar, their professional accomplishments are huge, they've talked about themselves so much, and the person they're in a relationship with looks at them with adoration. Their business partners look at them with adoration. When the adoration ends and that facade cracks... That is when they freak out, leave, and go find someone else, some other situation that they can be adored by, 
right? So this is not necessarily uh, self-worth. It's definitely not self-worth. Uh, it's grandiose. Uh, it's a misperception of them and their place in the world. There is a complete apathy and a lack of empathy for others, right? Uh, basically, he's the king of the show and others around him are just players, right? They're bit players uh, and they surround him. And if they don't give what he wants, which is adoration and uh, the idea that he's just so unique and superior, then he's got to go find somebody else to do that because he's not in a relationship with a person. He is interacting with bit players in his role as the star of earth, basically. So I've seen this come up in um, <laughs> so many places. I have been, um, and thank God I understood that, that this was not real and not really about me, but I have been proposed to by men who knew nothing about me. Men who I've never gone on a date with. I've been proposed marriage to. I have been told that men want to fuck me constantly in various forms or another. As if they're wanting to fuck me should somehow equate to me wanting to fuck them. And I've realized that you don't want to marry me. You, you don't want to be in a relationship with me because you don't know anything about me. This has nothing to do with me. And even when I was very young and I would get these strange marriage proposals from people who I didn't even have relationships with, I understood that this is not about me. And in the last seven years, I have dated quite a number of men, not had sex with, mind you, dated quite a number of men. I would say over a hundred in the last seven years. Plus, the interactions that I've had with men online on dating websites and that sort of thing. It is incredible to me how often I have sat across from a guy having dinner when he has not asked me a single thing. He has spent an hour to two hours talking about himself. I have left there and thought that man did not ask me if I have children that man did not ask me what I do for a living. That man did not ask me anything, like literally nothing. That man walked away from this table and knows zero about me, not even like basic shit. And he had the best date of his life. They, they're always the ones who go, oh, let's go out again. I had the best time. Of course you had the best time, dude, because it was all about you talking about yourself. So he is... He is, he is displaying narcissistic behavior by seeing his own self reflected back at him. Like, like I'm just uh, like a, I'm just like the pool, right? I'm the pool that narcissists looked in. I'm just sitting there blankly or feigning interest. And he is just looking at himself through me, right? That's what he's doing. It has nothing to do with me. I can tell you so many situations where I, I have like started conversations. I had one boyfriend. I would say something about myself or about what I had, you know, what I knew about something. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know all about that. I know all about that. And I was like, dear God, like it always has to be him, right? He, I, I mean, <laughs> all right, let's look at 
why this is an issue and why it looks like there's this massive rash of narcissists just appearing in the world. Like how in the world did so many people find themselves suddenly in relationships with narcissists? Here's how. Patriarchy, which is how we live globally, which is defined as the systematic legal, uh, cultural, religious um, idea that men are superior to women is narcissism. And any man who has grown up in patriarchy is automatically going to have an idea of his superiority. Because every single thing about the world, every single thing about his life, every single thing about his childhood, every single thing about his relationships, every single thing about the legal system, every single thing about a professional world, every single thing about politics, all of it in every country in the world, like globally, not America, not whatever, every country, culture, religion in the world has been governed by patriarchy and the supposed elevated superiority of having a penis versus having a vagina. And when I say systematic, I don't mean that this is just something we perceive, right? This is not just something, oh, it feels like things are, you know, unequal. No, this is very dedicated, very systems, right? We've created systems in which this is how we do it. And it goes way back, right? I mean, it goes as far back as we understand the world to be. When you look at all of this 23andMe stuff, right? So we're tracing our DNA and our genetics through history back. I recently did 23andMe and it can trace um, your genome. It can trace your genome all the way back to a specific ancestor in history. Um, you can only do it through women for women because we don't have the other chromosome. Men can do it both through women and men. And you can trace back where on the planet and in what culture those genes, those specific genes that you're now carrying were geographically. Okay, here's how a lot of genetic migration happened. In, in fact, here's how all fucking genetic migration happened. I mean, realistically, this is how society has been created and has moved and has migrated and transferred itself and, you know, split off into these different tribes and factions. Women were raped in war, right? So you had these tribes and they were fighting and women are the spoils of war. So when these soldiers or warriors or whatever group or tribe or faction was overtaking another group or tribe or faction, the common norm, the normal thing to do was rape the women. 
Often they were kidnapped as property and forced to marry or live as a concubine of the winners. But even the losers raped women from the other side, right? So now you've got all of these impregnated women who have been kidnapped and or traded just like they would trade a cow as payment. Like that's, that's not just a perception. That's actually historically accurate. Women have been traded as property like livestock or a bushel of corn or whatever, tribe to tribe. They've been raped and kidnapped tribe to tribe, culture to culture, uh, this political faction to another political faction. And these women have had children as a result of these rapes. And that is how much of migration has occurred genetically so that one woman might have started with this tribe over here. And then that tribe was conquered by a different tribe. She was grabbed, picked up, raped, and taken to the other tribe. Now her property, she's their property, and had a child. That is so much of our population came from this. Virtually all of our population came from trading the womb, essentially. The womb trade, right? So even if you didn't get kidnapped, you were traded like cattle. Not based on anything you cared about, not based on, you know, love. Love is a very recent concept in terms of marriage. Marriage is a political economic contract between two men, right? It's not just symbolic that the father gives the daughter away. That's literally what happened. And it continues to happen today. This is not obsolete on our planet. There are still, I mean, (laughs) people like to talk about how uh, slavery doesn't exist in the world, but that's not true. There are slaves and they're women. So they don't get the special recognition of slavery. Women are still traded among groups in this world today. Now let's move to religion. Every religion on this planet for eons, eons and eons, has given men the religious right as condoned, as ordained, actually, as ordained by God to rule over his wife. Essentially, again, she's not a human being with autonomy and choice making. That's, that is not a reality. Instead, her father, who is her ruler, gives her to her husband, who is her ruler. And in most religious communities, even her son becomes her ruler if her husband dies or disappears. A woman was never given autonomy. And on this planet, this has been the norm. Religiously, women were written out of the creation story 
They have served as concubines, uh, whores, virgins, property, uh, commodity to be traded. Plunder, loot, rape. And the reason that we have a political system that has done the same exact thing is because we had a religious system that did the same exact thing. And I'm not talking about Christianity. I'm talking about uh, Islam. I'm talking about Jews. I'm talking about Hindis. I'm talking like the whole thing. All of them. Women have been traded, raped, plundered, held in childhood, basically, just not autonomous beings, not autonomous legal beings. It has been legal to uh, beat your wife in every culture, including America, not that long ago either. You were allowed to beat your wife with a stick as long as it wasn't thicker than your thumb. As long as it was not thicker than your thumb. In my opinion, the fundamentally important thing that gave women autonomy over their own bodies is Roe versus Wade. Prior to that, there was zero legal protection for a woman to make her own choices, her own choices about where she lives, her own choices about her body, her medical history, her health. Roe versus Wade is the first thing that gave a woman physical autonomy over herself. Women politically and economically have been forbidden through most of history to own property, to become educated with a quality education just like their brothers. That doesn't exist in the world now. Like in America, we like to think that the world has gotten so progressive because girls are now testing as well as boys, in fact, superseding that. But that ends, right? That is not the norm across the whole world globally. It's not even close to the norm. I mean, Malala, that was just a year ago, two years ago. And her big thing was saying girls should get to go to school. Like, that is a today issue. Economically, <laughs> the wage gap can only be eliminated if a woman does not have children. The second she has children, she is given demotions, she is given lower pay, she is uh forced out of the workforce for economic reasons because someone has to take care of the kids and certainly men aren't going to do it. That's where you get the huge wage gap is when women take responsibility for the family and men do not. So what I'm saying is systematically, patriarchy is a narcissistic a fundamentally narcissistic institution or group of institutions. Because he has a penis, he gets to own property. Because he has a penis, he gets a visit with the, um, you know, the venture capitalist who is going to give him a shit ton of money to develop his app. Do you know that only 1% of women are given that opportunity? 1%. 
Systematically, women have not been able to hold office in politics until very recently. And currently today in America, women only have 20 to 24% of leadership roles in government, elected official. Uh, women are, have not been able to serve in professions. They were blocked from, from professions, most professions, in fact. Women are still raped like you would not believe. We have a president who is clinically a narcissist who said he just grabs the pussy. And do you know that rape has gone up? significantly, as has male aggression towards women, significantly. When you do not have women in leadership positions in religion, and the world has been predominantly religious, that's narcissism. It's cock culture. That's what I call it. It's cock culture. I have a cock, and so I get all the power, and I'm smarter. I get to make better. I, I'll make better decisions, so you just have to do what I say. If you don't, I'm going to rape you with my cock. And I cheated on you, had an affair for two years as a swinger, and it's because you didn't pay enough attention to my cock. That is narcissistic behavior. That is narcissism. Let's consider colonialism. Colonialism is unbelievably narcissistic. Colonialism is when Britain, uh, Italy, Spain decided that they were going to go take over the entire planet, plant their flag where other people already lived in their own communities, cultures, political systems, and use violence and force to take over those political systems strip the rights from the inhabitants who already lived there because they are patriarchy. Patriarchy is fundamentally narcissistic and it shows up everywhere. America's, oh my God, we're narcissistic as hell, right? We're overly arrogant and confident in places where we do not measure up. It is an unjustified arrogance and narcissism for us to go around the world telling people how they have to shape their economic and political situations while our consumer uh, habits shape their economic and political situations uh, to their detriment. Other people are doing this better and their cultures that have less patriarchy in them. They're doing healthcare better. They're doing violence better. They're doing economic disparity better. Like there is this huge, enormous part of America that is so narcissistic that we think we're doing everything better and it's unfounded. It's so gratuitous. And that is because we have an extreme patriarchal society. The more balance there is between the masculine and the feminine, the less violence there is, 
the less terrorist activity there is, the less economic disparity there is, the less poverty there is. Patriarchy is a sickness and it's fundamentally narcissistic. So, of course, you fell for a narcissist. Of course you did. But here's the thing. We've been making narcissists for essentially all of human existence. And they're not the ones who changed, friends. If anything, they've become less narcissistic or at least had to fake a less narcissistic persona. We're the ones who changed. Women are the ones who said, hey, I'm not going to be traded like cattle anymore. I'm not going to sit down and shut up in my religious institutions anymore. I'm not going to be silent about rape. I'm not going to be silent about sexual harassment. I am not going to be silenced about being shut out of careers, professions, political environments. I'm not going to be told by the bank that I'm not allowed to have my own checking account, which friends, that was like 50 years ago. (laughs) It is not in our distant past. I'm not going to get married and then obey my husband. So this produces a backlash because narcissism is implanted so far into our psyche that it's actually in our DNA genetic memory. So is the fear that women carry in our genetic DNA memory of violence from men. This is why we don't speak out as loud as we could and maybe as loud as we should. This is why we keep silent about that rape, that harassment, This is why we get upset when people put the me too thing too much in our face. It just feels so uncomfortable and aggressive. That's because, I mean, it's grounded in legitimate reality that there is risk and not just risk of social condemnation, risk of actual violence. The number one cause of death in this country is being murdered by your significant other. Murder and rape are a very real, grounded in reality fear in all women. We now know through science that our DNA actually transfers memory down from generation to generation to generation. And so often what we're feeling doesn't have a grounded reality in our current um, situation, right? So the fear exists whether or not you have been treated violently personally. Dude, the fear exists if your daughter goes anywhere outside the house. Actually, inside the house has been proven very ineffective as well because even family members feel entitled to narcissistically thrust their cock wherever they feel like thrusting it. But women support narcissism for some very understandable reasons, right? So the threat of violence is real. The threat of uh, punitive ousting, blackballing from professions 
uh, when you're trying hard enough just to stay in the game, that's real. Economic dependence is very, very real for women. Very real. Women own only 1% of wealth globally. 1% of wealth globally. In 2019, Forbes magazine stated that the fastest way to wealth for a woman in 2019 is marriage. Like we have this mythology that, oh, women are so equal. No, that's just, that's not true. It is not something grounded in reality, which I do want to talk about in just a second um, in terms of how not to make more narcissists. Okay, a little sip of water. Okay, so women have a motivation to keep silent, go along with the plan, try not to be noticed, just trying not to bring violence or economic fucking despair, tragedy in their own lives while they carry the burden of the family on their shoulders alone. I mean... It's easy to look at a woman and say, why doesn't she just get the fuck out of that shitty marriage? Because he has all the money. <laughs> and she's she understands her economic reality, which is to plummet into starvation if she leaves the breadwinner. Like, that's a reality. She, all she has to do is open her eyes and look around at aging women, at other aging women, or at single moms who are carrying the burden and realize that, yeah, she is dependent economically. And there's not recourse in the courts. And he will, <laughs> he is not going to volunteer to support her because he's the one who worked really hard for it. Those are just the realities that we face as women, friends. Those are the realities our daughters still face today. Only today they face those realities with a false perception that equality is here. It is not here. It is not here. So we lie to ourselves, right? We lie to ourselves because we have a hormonal, biological, desperate need that very few of us can uh, ignore to reproduce. And in order to reproduce, we're going to have to close our eyes to a few warning signs. We're going to have to close our eyes to the fact that he's really not interested in anything you're doing. He's interested in how he looks next to you and how you look at him with adoration. We close our eyes when we see this man treat other women like shit. And we pretend that it's going to be different because it was that woman's fault. Oh, he cheated for two years as a swinger in his last marriage. Well, he says that's because she didn't pay enough attention to his penis. And so I'll just constantly have sex with him. And uh, then it'll be different for me. 
Oh, he's cheated on every single woman he's ever known. Well, I'll just give him what he wants and then that won't happen to me. Oh, he got a restraining order from someone he was married to before. Oh, well, that was all her fart. She was just crazy. Oh, their divorce was so ugly that he literally robbed her of every penny and now she's destitute. Well, that's just because she was a major bitch and it's going to be different with me. It's not going to be different with you. It is him. It is. It's his character. It is his character and symptoms of his narcissism that he even thinks that someone else was responsible for his penis and making it happy. They will tell you what you need to know before you get all wrapped up in him. They will tell you how their previous relationships went, how they feel about their ex-girlfriends and their ex-wives, about how they perceive their mothers, about how they perceive women in power. That will come out of their mouths. Eventually, if you're paying attention, you can protect yourself from a narcissist. But only if you're willing to hold them responsible instead of the woman they fucked over before you responsible. See, because here's the thing. The man you're dating is also the man who's sexually harassing someone at work. He's also the man who's in the HR department who's paying women less. He's also the man who, in the locker room, talks about grabbing a woman's pussy. See, they are the ones in power because that's what patriarchy is. And he may talk like he is a good guy. Oh, my God. They'll totally say they're a good guy. Do you know how many times I've heard in the last seven years? Well, I wanted to stay faithful in my marriage, but she just didn't pay enough attention to me. I tried. And I'm like, oh, were those the years when she was pregnant or breastfeeding for six years straight and trying to keep a full-time job and make it in her career? You mean those years that she didn't touch your penis enough or look at you adoringly enough? Okay, yeah. You can't wait a couple of years for her to stop using her body to make your children? Okay, yeah. That's not her fault, douchebag. That's him and his narcissism in cock culture. And he's also the one guarding the gates of politics. He's also the one guarding the gates of corporate success. He's also the one guarding the gates of investing and the 401k and the stock market. They're not different people, friends. They're not. Patriarchy exists because we have an abundance of narcissists created by patriarchy. And in order to protect yourself from a narcissist, whether it's your first one or your next one, you're going to have to do a few things that are hard. 
like listening to what he says and holding him responsible instead of some woman that he left in his wake. You're going to have to listen when he tells you who he is and they will tell you who they are. They don't feel ashamed enough to hide it because they're narcissists. They don't, they're not ashamed of themselves at all. They really think they're that fucking awesome. So they won't even hide what they've done to other women in the workplace or in their relationships or the mothers of their children or even their mothers that they stop speaking to or stop supporting and allow their mothers to live in poverty when they're making a pretty fucking great living. They will tell you when they utter words like Hillary as if it's a curse word. That is a symptom of narcissism. So while you're not responsible for their narcissism or their abuse, you are responsible for taking care of yourself and your children and the other women in the world. You are responsible for holding him accountable, for placing the responsibility for keeping control of your dick is his. See, you can't look at someone who tells you they lack integrity and then say, oh, well, I was just fooled and abused. Okay, well, (laughs) in order to stop being fooled and abused, you're going to have to open your eyes and then do this really horrible, hard thing. You're going to have to love yourself more than you love him and fucking more than he loves himself. And that means that you're probably going to have to be willing to figure out how to be alone sometimes. And sometimes that's for long periods of time. Now, this is far easier said than done when you have already passed your childbearing years and when you've already been at the hands of enough patriarchy and gotten screwed that you are finally ready to stand up for yourself and walk away from a great many men who think they're fucking awesome. Those are not easy things to do, especially if you are economically dependent on a narcissist. It is not so simple as to just turn around and walk away to someone who's been controlling your life and making you feel like shit and bullying you. For 40 years, for 12 years, for 20 years, for whatever, a significant portion of your life. And if you have children with this person, it's going to be even worse. Because you're tied to him forever. But if we want progress, we have to stop indulging in this. We have to stop indulging narcissists. Because they don't even see you. They see themselves reflected from your eyes. They aren't interested in you. Narcissists are not interested in you. They're interested in how you perceive them, whether you meet their needs, whether you elevate them socially, 
on your on his arm whether you look like a pretty picture in the family photo whether you can help him get ahead professionally see narcissists often make great fathers and boyfriends for a long time because they want to be perceived as great fathers and boyfriends so they do all the actions required to be perceived that way In themselves, there's a lack of integrity and character driven by their sense of entitlement and insecure, self-loathing, grandiosity of superiority. I mean, dude, look at some of these guys and you're like, how the fuck are you a narcissist? <laughs> like you're not even close to a uh, five and you're somehow just think you're amazing. I mean, you've done nothing, nothing to justify how awesome you are, but they've grown up in a system that tells them they are entitled to this. That makes them feel they get to be this, this amazing king of the hill, because they were born with a penis. And our job as women is to just make him feel amazing. And he has no job in terms of fulfilling your, like, he doesn't care about your emotions because you're not even real to him. You're a prop. One quick thing, well, a few quick things. One is I want to mention the difference between entitlement and privilege because I have used the word entitlement in uh, this episode and entitlement is another one of those keywords right now that are floating around and so is privilege. Uh, in gender, in race, in all kinds of situations, these are words that we're grappling with. So I want to give you some insight into what I believe privilege and entitlement are. Privilege is being given more opportunities than someone else simply because you were born that way. Okay. So if you were born an American, you are privileged. If you are born a man, you are privileged. If you are born white, you are privileged, right? And there are varying degrees of privilege. If you were born in a wealthy family and your parents were both professionals, you are privileged. There is nothing wrong with being privileged. The goal is that everyone is privileged, right? Like if you want for others what you want for yourself, which, you know, is good things, just your basic love, connection, wealth, um, purpose, right? If you have that because you were born in a privileged position, there's no shame in that, right? You got lucky. Then if you have that and you acknowledge that, yes, you were born a white man in America, you're one of the most privileged humans on earth, you got a real significant head start. If you understand that and you try to bring up other people into your level of privilege, then fucking hooray for privileged people. I mean, my God, 
I guess I think Bill Gates, um, Bill and Melissa Gates would be a good example of this, right? He was born a white male in America. He uh, married a white woman in America, both highly educated. Uh, he just had this entrepreneurial spirit, this head start, this vision, right? Made something big. But their purpose now is the Gates Foundation in which they go around the world and they solve a great many problems that they fund because they've approached the top 10% of people in wealth in the world and said, hey, why don't you give us your money so that we can make the world a better place? Like Warren Buffett has left his fortune to Bill Gates and the Gates Foundation because they're doing amazing things around the planet. They have the money to innovate. They have the money to experiment. They have the money to employ scientists and give grants and, you know, provide mosquito netting, right? And cure uh, polio, right? Or leprosy. That would be an excellent example of privilege being used correctly with integrity, right? Entitlement is different. Entitlement is when you are born a white male in America and you think you didn't get a head start. You think that, or you say bullshit like this, well, I work hard for what I do. You're not working harder than someone with a, a minimum wage physical labor job. You're not. You're not working harder than a single mom trying to support four kids after her husband walked out on her before she got her education completed. You're not. If you are born a white male in America and you don't understand how privileged you are and you cannot look at other people around you and see that there's a big difference in the way that you are treated politically, socially, economically, and I mean, even just in the criminal system, that's entitlement and that is narcissism at its worst. If you cannot see that you were born with highly educated parents, sent to school, never worried about money at all, and you resent someone on welfare or social security or getting, you know, lunch as old people, you are a narcissist and you are entitled. You believe that something is not, that something is yours because you earned it. Which <laughs> in our system is inaccurate. It's way inaccurate. So, if you were born in this privileged position, great, be privileged, make the most out of it and spread it around. To believe that you did it with your merit and your hard work and that everybody has a shot in this meritocracy, that's narcissism. That's entitlement. And there are varying degrees of this, but statistically, regardless of what race you are, if you were born a male, you are privileged. And if you can be a male privileged and look around you and think, well, they've got the same shot I've got, 
That's narcissism. That's entitlement. If you have a penis and you think you can't control your penis and that gives you the right to energetically or physically attack a woman under any circumstances whatsoever, you are a narcissist. You are entitled. Entitlement is believing that something that is not yours belongs to you. Any woman's body is not yours. If you feel that you are entitled to do whatever you want with your dick, that is entitlement. That is narcissism. So I just wanted to point out the differences there. Even in lifespan, there's a massive difference. The less privileged you are, the sooner you die, the less money you make, the more health problems you have. There's a direct correlation, people. There is a very direct correlation with how privileged you are and your entire life experience. And if you are that privileged person that cannot see that, that denies that, that does not try to bring other people into your privileged position, then you are a fucking narcissist. And honey, if you're going to date that guy, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get screwed. The last thing I want to say, and um, I think this may be the most important thing, is let's stop making narcissists. Let's just stop it. We live in a world that is still patriarchy. We're nowhere near equality in any level. There is no part of our lives that is equal. None. No part of our lives is equal. Which means that males, our sons, are set up by the entire system to become narcissists. It is the system in which we operate and every single place where they go from birth to death is set up to make them feel that they are superior, that they work harder, that they try harder, that things are equal. Other people are just kind of fucking it up. If you allow your son to believe that, you have made a narcissist. The most important thing I believe that we can do to stop making narcissists is to instill the value of equality as it should be, as the ideal. Equality is the ideal right? Equality is the ideal, but we cannot tell our sons that things are equal. That is the worst thing we can do. You cannot say boys and girls are equal. If you say boys and girls are equal, you are feeding him a falsehood that is not based in our current reality that he will then grow up in believing that things are equal and therefore 
he should just have whatever he has because he's entitled. That will make a narcissist. We make narcissists. Rather, you tell him things should be equal. Things are not equal. As a male, he has a lot of history to compensate for that. If you just let him float along his life believing that things are equal, we'll just have another generation and another generation of narcissists in patriarchy. That's what will happen. Because we're not we're not teaching old 40-year-old men new tricks. No. Our best shot. I don't even want to say 40-year-olds. I've met some pretty narcissistic millennials. Our best shot is to train the next generation with better values, more integrity and character and higher expectations, right? Our sons are born privileged. Regardless of what race you are, sons are born privileged. And as you go through the races, you get a a variable of privilege, right? And you get a variable of privilege in terms of economic status and your culture and your community and religion. And, you know, like, yes, there are a ton of variables there. But if you are born a male, the whole world is set up for you to become a narcissistic asshole, for you to be entitled just like the parents before you. So to instill ours, uh, uh, the value of equality in our sons is wonderful. That is absolutely what has to happen. But to give them the illusion that it exists makes another narcissist. You need to point out disparity every time he comes into contact with it. You see it on TV? Point that disparity out. Hey, see how he's treating her? That's not okay. Don't do that. What should you do instead? Oh, you see that right there? How, you know, that guy said something and then the woman didn't get heard because, you know, he's considered inherently more valuable or smarter? That's not okay. Do you see how hard that mom is working and her husband's just gone? That's not okay, right? That's inequality. Instill the value of equality so that he is invested in narrowing the gap. And then encourage peer pressure. Get specific. Hey, There are going to be guys at this age who start harassing women, start talking about them in a really degrading, demeaning way, sexually forcing themselves on girls. It is your job to make that unacceptable verbally and to never let go of that position. You have the ability to lead and make this go a different direction. And the men who came before you are not great role models on this one. They're not. So you need to really work hard to equal the playing field here. You're not more entitled than anyone else to get this, but it will come 
easier for you because you are a male. We have to stop growing narcissists. Oh, I know, I know, I know. He's a good guy. Okay, well, let's look at the different definitions of good guy and good girl, right? Like, oh, well, my husband's a good man. Oh, this guy's a good man. Yeah, but guess what? We use the words good man when people are doing really crappy things and they can't all be good men if we live in a culture of patriarchy, right? If we live in a culture of patriarchy and he thinks he has a right to tell his wife what to do, um, I'd say good man is a pretty flexible fucking definition. If he won't hire a woman or pays a woman, a, you know, 25, 30% less than um, he pays a man, but he's a good man. Really? Like, maybe let's raise the bar of a good man. Maybe let's look at what they're actually doing and contributing and how they're perpetuating the patriarchal system with their behavior and their action and their vote and their hiring practices and the religions that they preach and calling bigotry and misogyny uh, caused by God. Fuck that. That doesn't deserve respect for a religious belief. Bigotry and misogyny is not God's work. That's yours. That's patriarchy's. That's narcissism. Okay, well. <laughs> All right, I'm going to end it there. I hope that you tune in again another time. I'm going to be making some more um, uh, information on this on my Patreon page. If you'd like to hop over there, let me know. Um, I have enjoyed talking to you about this. I think it's a really important topic. And I think men need to step up in defense of women because that is how we're going to get change. You have to step up for it to change because you're the ones with power. It has to be you, men. It has to be you. And women, we have to take responsibility for our safety because they are not going to, as they have proven throughout the entire history of humans. Protect and provide is a myth that we wish for from fairy tales, but they've proven themselves incapable, resistant, and narcissistic about it. Okay, I love you and thank you so much for clicking and you can find me at tracysue.com slash Patreon. And I cannot wait to see what kind of mischief and fun we get up to over there.